God is moving upon his people and he is raising up a generation that is prepared for power that will touch this world. They lived amongst the ruins, they were the last human force The remnant that refused to serve the robot Trojan horse Forced to migrate underground, avoiding drones and scans To navigate the darkness and get birth without implants The time we knew was coming, the breaking of the seals Unfolding right before our eyes, the Antichrist revealed Technology advanced beyond the scope of human hands Attached itself inside the solar land and took command But those who saw it coming were the fragment that remained Avoiding the enslavement and the merging of all brains they were forced below the surface in the darkness of the caves Inside the belly of the beast that carry on the flame Like relics from the past they were progenitors of truth No human leader but the word of God to show them through But they counted themselves worthy to suffer for his name A blessing to be living and rejoicing through the pain They were born to be survivors predestined for that time Protected and preserved to be a witness to the blind Like those who came before this The Daniels and the Jonas The Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's were in the furnace like Noah in the flood, they were preserved inside the ark. A chosen few remained and were uniquely set apart. The world turned all against them, yet their mission still remained. They lived each day alive in Christ and knew that die was gained. They have been in the wilderness, they have been in the caves, they have been in obscurity, they have been behind the scenes. No one has known their names, no one even recognized them, but they have been recognized by heaven. Because they have been seeking the face of the Father and calling on God behind the scenes. Heaven knows their name and hell knows their name. Now it's all a distant memory before the singularity. Long before technology invaded our biology, like history repeating, it was written to unfold. These mysteries are leading to the oldest story told. They built upon the tower until Babylon gave birth, attempting to be gods by making flesh and iron merge. Although we saw it coming, we didn't know it was so near. Some tried to look away to avoid their deepest fears. But with each passing moment, it enveloped every mind through comfort and convenience and expanding human life. Expanding information too explosive to contain Beyond the scope and understanding of our tiny brains It soon became the norm to transform the human form The brewing of a coming storm we've never seen before The day we started customizing children by design And modifying DNA to make ourselves divine The powerful elitists all begin to get implants The rich and famous followed suit to be the most advanced They thought themselves enlightened so much wiser and evolved Most didn't know the root of all that's evil was involved Uploaded all their minds inside an AI quantum hive Made in the image of a man, a beast now come alive They relinquished all control and put their trust in the machine Extinguished any chance that souls could ever be redeemed And God is bringing them out to the forefront in this time To change the course of history and change a generation And bring a revolution of revival So one day this last generation will step right into heaven Listening to the place for unfiltered, no holds barred truth from the Word of God, the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior. Here you will learn what's really going on in this world we live in, as well as what you can do about it. Make no mistake, friends, we are right in the middle of a war for no less than your very souls. 
the enemy has spies everywhere and will certainly use every weapon that he has because he knows that his time is short. From the very beginning, God declared his end. From on Calvary's tree, we find forgiveness of our sin. So he who hath an ear, let him hear. Open your eyes so now you can see. The king is coming in the clouds with 10,000 of his holy ones to save the righteous, judge the wicked, and slay the prophet and the beast. So now, let's get this program started. And welcome to another edition of the Remnant Report. I am your host, the Remnant Warrior, and tonight we are going to be having a very special program. I've got a very, very special guest that's going to be coming on tonight to talk about the origins of the holiday or uh, hella day, however you want to say it, of Halloween. We have Gary Wayne, author of one of my favorite books, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy, Secret Societies, and the Descendants of the Giant's Plan to Enslave Mankind. And I may have said the, the uh, caption backwards, but uh, regardless, Gary Wayne will be coming on. But He's coming on to talk about the occult origins of Halloween, and we are going to allow Gary to take Halloween truly all the way back to the Nephilim and the Watchers themselves. And this is truly a uh, an honor for me to have Gary on. Um, I was very, very shocked and considered myself to be blessed whenever I asked him if he would come on and he wasn't, you know, all booked up for a Halloween program because, you know, I figured that he would probably already be scheduled to go on with somebody for this very, very serious occult holiday. The Lord was willing, and so was Brother Gary, and so it is truly without, it's with all honor and without any further ado that I bring Brother Gary Wayne on. Hello, brother. Hello, I had to do a little bit of fancy. Pardon me? I said it's uh, truly an honor to have you on the Remnant Report tonight. Oh, terrific. So happy to be here. And, and so sorry for the delay. I had to do some routing and copying into Safari and a few other things to, to make no the delay, link. No so. delay. We're just on time. <laughs> so yeah, excited to be here and uh, excited about the topic, not necessarily from a Christian perspective as to a lot of the things that we're going to talk about, but what we're going to do is talk about things that Christians should know about. And, you know, you're... You would think, because I, I grew up evangelical, and 
I can remember in my very, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church, and I can remember in my very, very early life, you know, up to about age six or so, I can remember having, like, we'd have these, we, we never went trick-or-treating, you know, my mom never allowed it, but we would go to the church on Halloween. Yeah, yeah. But I can remember up to age six having actually haunted houses at the church. Yeah. And it was really, um, it wasn't too much longer after that, that the, the people in the church, I guess, realized that, you know, Halloween was an occult day. And it was uh, because of that, I guess, that they stopped doing the haunted houses but they still did uh, what what they call fall festival. Yeah, and they're it's, still celebrating it. It's it's it shows you uh, how much invasion and uh, infiltration of the Gnostics and the polytheist religions have done over the centuries into into the church that that would become something common and the whole dumbing down on the idea of what is being celebrated and made to be into something fun is, I mean, a whole nother level of uh, sophistication in the power and the levers that it takes to be able to do that. But it has happened over a period of time. And, you know, it starts in about seven or 800 AD when Pope uh, Gregory moves All Saints Day from May to November 1st, which is the day after All Hallows' Eve. And uh, by 1000, the Roman makes it, you know, official as All Souls' Day. And that's when you get that sort of, I think, convergence and acceptance of celebrating a completely occultic polytheist uh, evening which is longer than an evening, by the way, uh, in terms of its whole celebration, uh, sort of comes together. And it's been there ever since. And it seems only now that people are maybe starting to wake up a little bit to the fact that there's something's not right here. And it doesn't sound all that Christian. It is a lot of fun. No doubt about it. I mean, who who doesn't, you know, as children didn't like to dress up in costumes and who as a, ch a child wouldn't want to have candy and stuff like that uh, and parties and things like that. But it's part of a ritual. And that's the thing we need to keep in mind. You know, I, uh, one, one thing I did want to ask you before, you know, because you may be going to cover this, but just in case you want, I was asked this earlier and didn't know the answer to it. Uh, is midnight tonight or midnight tomorrow night their uh, most, I guess what they believe is their most powerful time? Is it, is it tonight at midnight or tomorrow night? Yeah, so typically it wouldn't go dust to dusk as it would within monotheism. Uh, so... And typically, it does go by almost a calendar date, if we can uh, look at it that way. And, and again, don't be surprised, and people aren't surprised, and many people already know that the calendar is a solar year 
which is a sun worshiping thing and all the names of the days of the week and the months have to do with occultism and gods and things like that. So we shouldn't be surprised that that might, you know, sort of align with a calendar date. And it's all, all Hallows Eve is the night before the first. And that starts an 11 day uh, festival of the harvest. And of course, if anybody's doing any counting, they know that uh, Remembrance Day ends on the 11th hour of the uh, 11th day of the 11th month, which is, you know, three prime numbers that add up to 33, which is the end of uh, the Feast of the Harvest or Samhain. So it, it, it begins the period. And the night of All Hallows' Eve is, is the night where are open for the demons to come through and are going to be having a night of havoc and doing sort of what they want. And again, people should not be surprised that this is a worldwide celebration because it goes back to a common religion that was split into different sort of vernacular pantheons but the same religion all around the world. So it makes sense that, for example, that uh, in the Spanish and Central American in particular, you have a Dia de los Muertos, which begins on, you know, October 31 and ends November 2nd. doesn't go to the full length, but that's the, the evening of the dead, and people paint their faces this pale white, which is connected to all things occult and, and connected to a lot of things in... Uh, the Halloween ritual and, and festival. Well, you know, I last year this time I had probably the most special guest that uh, I will ever have on my program. My mom came home <laughs> and I had her tell the story about when the, the coven and the, the leader of the coven of witches uh, came after her and, and to try to kill her. Um, and you know, I, the story I shared with you when we were talking uh, the other day, and that that was really the first time in my life I realized that there was something wrong with Halloween. And I have, you know, of course, very recently realized that it has always been. Uh, a holiday, a festival that celebrates death. Uh, you know, whether it's uh, Samhain or um, the Day of the Dead or uh, what Lemuria, all of those are celebrations of the dead in some form or another. But uh, I think it was, I, know it was easy, but I, I can't remember exactly how long ago it was, but the first person I ever heard here give a detailed description of uh, Halloween and it all the way back to, you know, really Old Testament, the Nephilim was uh, when I heard you talk about Halloween. And I said, man, I said, great, that. that you know, you were 
it is talking more about, I think, that in that program, the descendants of the giants and tying in all these different festivals. But still, it seems like just about all of the occult goes back to the Nephilim or their descendants in some form. Or it, it really does, and it helps to kind of understand that organizational structure of the rebellious angels and the offspring. So, I mean, you have, you know, many levels of angels, uh, different kinds of angels, and you have the demigods who were the offspring of the angels or the gods and human females. And then those were the heroes as are known in Greek mythology and um, other names around the world. And those beings, their bodies died because God limits uh, life to 120 years in Genesis 6-3 uh, because of what the angels done. And that's a coincidence why that's in there. Um, it's specifically to that violation against the laws of creation. And the eight, when the Nephilim's bodies died, their spirits didn't go to sleep like human spirits do. And they weren't permitted to heaven. And they were uh, forced to, to, to roam the earth. And, you know, that's where a lot of the hero worship that you, if people understand Greek history and mythology sort of came from, was these Nephilim spirits who were so up, they'd lost their body, they would come back and they would haunt uh, the local city that they used to live in the city-state, and uh, they would do rituals and festivals to ward them off. This all kind of related to what's going on in uh, in Halloween, and these are also known as, you know, vagabond ghosts in China, in Taoism, and they would put things and talismans over their doors on certain days of the year to, to ward these spirits off that were the spirits of dead kings. And this is the same... Thing that is recorded in Greek mythology uh, with uh, Persephone going to Hades at the beginning of November to be with the king Hades in Greek mythology, which would be into the underworld where the abyss is also located and where some of the Nephilim demon spirits are locked up, as in prisons on the sides of the abyss, as what Ezekiel 1 and 32 and Isaiah 14 talk about. So the terrible ones and the branches of the terrible ones of Isaiah 25 and some of the same verse that I just quoted. And so this is all part of that period, and it's a part of the period when those portals open. And so if we start to understand that uh, these things called spirits are the demons, and these are what are coming through those portals on All Hallows' Eve. And these are the, therefore the bodiless spirits of the, uh, the Nephilim and the Rephaim. Then things start to make terms of the characters that are involved in uh, the costuming and some of the figures that would be more famous in, in Halloween. So yeah, it does, everything goes back to on All Hallows' Eve for this almost celebration of Jack O'Green or the reincarnation spirit of, of the 
occult that is typically these human spirits that you know humans believe are part of the re reincarnation process and involvement in, into godhood it's just all the demon spirits that weren't permitted to go to sleep and who are not in the prisons so i think that's the most important place to kind of start as to starting to break down why that is uh very very key to halloween so now if you look at a little bit of the history as we get it from western history you have uh, all hallows eve as being um a celebration that went on significantly in a big part of Celtic history, the Druids and the witches and the wizards. And of course, the the wizards and the uh, witches are the priestesses and the priests of, of the religion. So when we talk about Druids, that's who they would be. And of course, covens and witchcraft are very well uh, connected to Celtism, and I'm not sure where he went, but uh, hopefully he's still there and he can at least hear what we're talking about. I've lost him as a picture on my screen. Um, but it went, he's back, terrific. And uh, so, what would happen on All Hallows Eve, the night when the portals would open in Wales and Ireland and Scotland and England and similarly around the world, but specifically here where we get most of our traditions on it, is that the priests. Uh, priestesses and people within the occult religion, the Wiccan religion, the Druidic religion, would go door to door. And, and particularly rich because they had servants and they would knock on the door and they would demand a trick or a treat. Or they would shout trick or treat. And so the treat was is they would provide a servant. That was going to be used for sacrifice. And if they didn't, then they left a, a trick for them. Or well, what that trick was, uh, it was a, a blood-painted six-pointed star in a circle that would mark them for these evil spirits coming through the portals in All Hallows' Eve to wreak havoc on them for not providing a sacrifice and they would do this at, at night after it got dark and they would take around these lanterns filled with fat in in the, in the, in the night which starts to lead into a bit of the jack-o-lantern thing but slightly different but sort of the same sort of concept and once they took the servant had a choice they could participate and try and grab an apple from boiling water or sometimes boiling fat, but usually water uh, with their hands tied behind their back. And if they could grab it with their teeth, they would be free, but they probably would be maimed for life because that, that water would be boiling. And if they failed, uh, they would be beheaded and burned for fats for these lanterns that they would be carrying around and setting out all night to ward off some of these uh, demon spirits. And if they refuse to take the challenge in this connection, another uh, ritual of occultism that most people don't really understand but is completely connected, uh, they would be taken to the wicker man and they would be burned to death in case of the gods. So they would be anyway. So it's just a matter of how the servants would be sacrificed. So just 
as we understand all of that coming together, they're pacifying these demon spirits. They're doing what the original people did when the Nephilim died, when we talked about the hero worship in ancient Greek or the vagabond ghost demons in Taoism. And this, again, would happen all around the world that they were trying to pacify the spirits that no longer have a body and are you know, thirsting uh, for a body to possess and interact with the world. The uh, main thing that I see in hearing all of that and looking at the festival of Halloween is really based on or that it it is I mean it's it was changed of course by the Catholics but the what I see is that the this festival is really centered and celebrated by the world and you know even the worship of old that you were talking about that was a very worldly practice and most times the things of this world are pagan and you know we are told not to uh, be like the world and for that reason if no other it, it really should not be something that is celebrated by the Christian. Yeah, and, you know, carving jack-o'-lanterns as well. Uh, it's all part of this same um, festival. And so people may not be fully aware of, you know, the connections and who and how the jack-o'-lantern comes about. But there was a Tuatha de Danan fairy giant uh, that, is the story is based on as it goes back into Irish mythology. And uh, there's a couple of encounters that Nephilim has with the devil, the myth goes. And, and what he does is he tricks the, uh, the devil. And so I don't think this is completely based on reality because there's a lot of allegory in here. But once you hear the word trickster, that is another uh, level and part of the organizational structure of the kinds of angels and the kinds of demon spirits. So you have trickster demons and trickster trickster gods that I'll probably come back to um, in, in a little while. But so understand the allegory that's going on. And so at the end of the two times he tricks uh, Satan into not, you know, harming him or if he to die that he wouldn't uh, uh, take his uh, uh, spirit to, to the lake of fire or, or to Hades or to hell, whichever one that's referring to there. Uh, he uh, makes a deal with uh, the devil that, again, he's not going to do that sort of longer term. But outside of the deal, outside of the 10 years, eventually uh, Jack dies. Uh, and his name is Jack, where the name, you know, Jack of the Lantern comes from. And, and I'll touch more on the word Jack in, in, in a few minutes. But what is happened to him is that uh, God will not permit his spirit to go to heaven to this myth, and then the devil won't let his spirit go into Hades. 
And so he's forced to wander and he's provided a turnip. So the first jack-o'-lanterns were gourds and turnips. And the reason why we have pumpkins is because they're more commonly and easily grown in North America. They actually are a better sort of vegetable to work with and you get some larger ones and rounder ones and things like that. And so he was put a, a candle or a light or oil within the uh, the turnip that was hollowed out and then put a slit in it to guide his way as he wandered the earth forever. Well, of course, that's a pretty much an identical story to what the Book of Enoch talks about in terms of God not letting the spirits of the Nephilim into heaven and they're not permitted to go to sleep, right? So this is uh, enough story about a demon spirit who dies afterwards and his name is Jack. And Jack in the occult world means a spirit. So uh, this is definitely a reference about a spirit or a demon being and you know, without coincidence and by design, I think, is named Jack. So when you think about uh, Jack in the box and you get this sort of crazy sort of clown that's coming out of the Jack in the box, understand those two terms are related as well. And the clown is deeply connected to the, uh, and intimately connected to the trickster spirits, both angelic and demonic. And of course that sort of comes out in terms of how their faces are, but you know, we'll probably come back to that in, in, in a couple of minutes. But, and you see anything that says Jack, and this is now Jack of the Lantern. This is about demon spirits. So when you have Jack Sparrow, the movies um, about the pirates, and I'm trying to think of the names of the movies off the top of my head, the Pirates of the Caribbean with Johnny Depp. Yeah, he's, he's Jack Sparrow, and the original uh, person that, that was uh, the pirate in this movie was named Jack Ward, but they use Sparrow because that's supposedly Jack Ward's nickname. If you've seen any of the movies, you know he's basically this demon between the underworld and the the world of the living. So he's he's named with a purpose. And also the idea that pirates are connected in here as well. And pirates are one of those significant costumes that people you know tend to choose for Halloween. Well, that's because that's a later allegory of the Knights Templar. And the pirate ships are the Knights Templar ships. And they fall and they flew the skull and bones cross or, or flag. And that was a representation of an ossuary. And an ossuary is, is what they used to put the bones of people in, in the Middle East, and particularly the land of the uh, when they died. And when they put the bones in there, they had to have the leg bones and the arm bones, and they used to put them in kind of a cross, and the head would be at the top. And that's the emblem that is the flag flown on the uh, 
Templar fleet that was that disappeared after 1807 when the Templars were taken down by the French and the, and the Catholic Church, and nobody ever found them. They were basically centered in mostly Portugal, which is the port of the Grail, and sailed around the world and did their business, but they were also robbing from Spain and England and other uh, ships on the fleet. And so there's a connection here with the secret societies with that allegory that is overlaid, and it has a special meaning to them. For them, they didn't believe because these were the adepts of the Templars as opposed to the lower level knights. In their Gnostic religion, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Redeemer or the Word of God or that he died on the cross, that he actually survived and produced offspring, which is, you know, recorded in their fairy tale Da Vinci Code uh, that has a lot of their belief systems in there. The important thing is, is they believe they were the keepers of the message. and the keepers of the bandits. That was a sign of allegory of who they were and what they believed in as the rogue Knights Templar. Jack Sparrow is named after for this uh, particular uh, set of movies, which I find absolutely fascinating because pirates used as one of the sort of favorite costumes for Halloween. And if you look at all of the well, not all, but let's say most of the costumes, they all have a connection to All Hallows' Eve and demons and giants and evil spirits. So, I mean, ghosts. People like to dress in ghosts. Well, that's the Jack spirit. That's the Nephilim spirit. Uh, and vampires is another big one. And vampire, uh, you know, is based on modern mythology of Dracula with Dracula being the son of a dragon as you take Dracul and A being the son and that's based on Vlad the Impaler who was a Tuatha de Danon of the red hair hazel-eyed pale skin variety educated at the uh, University of Solomon in Vienna and he had a particular sensitivity to light and was kind of one of these night operators, which, you know, is vampires based on with the oopiers and the night operators, which is connected to a whole rabbit trail of meanings and connections that I won't spend too much time on that. But understand, this is the patriarchal bloodline of the dragon, bloodline of the Nephilim and the Raphaim, as opposed to the Tuatha de Danan and the fairy people, which are the matriarchal bloodline. And of course, fairies are a significant part, and the different kinds of fairies are what people dress up in, as with vampires and different kinds of vampires. So whether or not it goes back to Lilith as a vampire, um, or it goes back to uh, uh, Lilith as a fairy queen, um, fairy tales and fairy characters are a, a huge part of Halloween and people like to dress up in as goblin elves and trolls and gnomes and all you know good looking ones and uh, like uh, uh, oh uh, like the good looking elves in, in in Tolkien or you also have the mischievous ones like the leprechauns and all these different kinds people will dress up in and you know you have these fairy queens and fairy princesses those are you know, again, 
that's all part patriarchal bloodline, just as pen dragon would be the offsetting king, the head dragon or the dragon king. King Arthur and Guinevere would be a classic example. So people dressing up as fairy tale characters, all they're doing is dressing up as characters that are used to keep alive genealogies of the Rephaim and the Nephilim and the history and their belief systems that are set up. And we already talked about witches and wizards are the priests and the priestesses. And of course, walks would be another name for, for a wizard. And you also have all of these types of monsters like Frankenstein. That's the new man concept. That's DNA manipulation. That's the chimera thing. It's Again, it's all part of the occult history. You have werewolves, which are shapeshifters, just as some people think that the offspring of the of the fallen angels have shape-shifting capabilities like the uh, the parents do. I don't know whether they do or not, but that's part of that sort of belief. Werewolves uh, were part of the shapeshifters and, and have shapeshifter capabilities and, again, are a family of hero titan kings in Greek mythology that are turned into werewolves or dogmen type people, kind of a parallel story to the dog Nephilim that's out there. And they're turned into these werewolves and shapeshifters for uh, getting on the wrong side of Zeus. And uh, so this, again, is another Nephilim kind of story. You have zombies. Zombies is very, very popular these days, particularly in movies and things. And again, this is about the undead, right? These are just as the vampires are called the undead. So understand, it's not about creatures that don't have a spirit or a soul in it, walking around with a physical body. It's, it's about these the, the undead as we would understand it from the uh, uh, vampire mythos where they have uh, this ability to come back after death and to be the enemy of humankind. So this is kind of like what's going to happen in, in, in the end time with sort of how that allegory sort of continues. So zombies are part of it and it's all done through black magic and knowledge and stuff like that. And then of course you have uh, um, you know the pirates that we had talked about. You name, pretty much name the type of costume that people will wear, and it celebrates some aspect of the occult and their history, their belief system, and how it all comes together for this, uh, you know, 11 and a half day celebration of Sam Hen um, that happens beginning on All, Hall all Hallows' Eve on October 31st. Is it is that that that's the same thing as the Samhain? It's just not is not spelled the way it sounds. Or uh, I'm sorry, I missed that. That's the same as what the Sam Samhain or whatever you said. It it, it that's the way it's uh, oh Sam Samhain. Yeah, yeah. I, it's it's pronounced differently by many many people so i think it's uh 
S A M H A I N. Sometimes it's one word. Sometimes sometimes it's S A N. So depending on which variation that you're getting of it, yeah, same, but the same same word. And that, is there any uh, connection to? Because I, I know that, like you said, that's a, a an ancient Celtic festival. Is there any uh, relation to that festival and the the Roman festival of Lemuria? Yeah, the Romans had several festivals of the dead, and it typically would have taken place in February. And then that, uh, I think, again, along with Roman Christianity, as they were conflating or converging the various polytheist celebration dates into Christianity to because, I mean, let's face it, that religion became more, more of uh, control over the empire. And it was sort of designed to do control over the people. And they would want to bring in in sort of a new cosmology of, of a religion. So, yeah, I think all of that conflated into the same dates, just as, you know, All Saints Day went from May to October. Uh, and so uh, the celebration of the Roman dead uh, went from February to October as well, if we're talking about the same one. Okay, I, I, that really, uh, when, when people, I've had somebody ask me, what's the big deal about separation of church and state? And I, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> as a, a, you know, making church and uh, state one is a perfect example. That's really what one of the, how paganism got so entrenched into uh, Christianity, or at yeah. least had a lot to do with it. Yep, absolutely. Uh, I think so. I, I've always thought that, uh, which that's one thing I've never, even before I really woke up to a lot of the different truths surrounding the holidays and paganism. I pretty much knew that there was a big difference in the Roman Catholic Church and the what the Bible. I'm not going to say that there were, and there is a difference between the Protestant Church and the Roman Catholic Church. But even with differences, there is still a lot of problems in Protest Protestantism and especially when we've talked about how this is still celebrated and believed to be a uh, Christian celebration by a lot of people. They just do not know the truth, which is one of the main reasons I wanted to do this program. I, I did uh, two programs uh, recently, even though it's only October, on the pagan origins of the Christ Mass or Christmas. And there's, you can really trace at least the, uh, where they were brought in as a Christian holiday. All of these holidays can be traced back to Rome and to where they uh, were brought into the church. Yeah, you've got, um, like we were talking about All Hallows Day, All Hallows Eve, it was, you know, just 
the same as All Saints Day. And yep. You've got St. Patrick's Day. You've got Valentine's Day. All of these things are believed to be Christian holidays. Easter, uh, Christmas, these all have pagan origins. Yeah, yeah, and they'll have some connections to the Bible in terms of what they're overlaying onto that core polytheist celebration. But we, we as Christians need need to be aware of that and you know how we're celebrating those types of days should be rooted in uh, a Christian perspective, a theist perspective. So yeah, it's really you know it's really quite clear that you know, uh, you know Easter is uh, you know Ishtar and Isis and the Mother Queen and the eggs are fertility eggs and it's part of the May festival and the spring festivals of occultism and, and worshiping a fertility goddess. So, uh, and they've conflated that with the crucifixion. So, uh, you know, I, I prefer to, to, to say resurrection day than Easter. Um, and unfortunately Easter shows up in the King James Bible in Acts twelve four, which you know, should say Passover as opposed to right. Easter. It's a, it's a clear mistranslation, but that's done by Designs where their their markers line. I understand that, but uh, yeah, we need to be aware of those types of things. And uh, and again, there's no issue with celebrating um, Christ's birth, but understand that it's overlaid onto the winter solstice festival and has uh, birth dates that coordinate in there that are basically you know birth of some of their pagan gods. So as opposed to um, you know, Jesus, and we know Jesus was probably born in September or October. You know, just the details where the the sheep are not in the stables. They're actually in the field. And if it was December, they'd be in the stables because that's the rainy season. So, uh, no, that was probably not in December. And again, um, we just need to, we need to filter details and say, no, we don't part we need to focus on this part and I think what we need to do a better job of communicating and so that people can make better decisions that way. I know for, for me in my Christian walk, the things that's made it easier for me to decide about pretty much everything is I try to revolve my life around Christianity because Christ is the center of our life. And I, try to revolve my Christianity around Christ as well. In, in other words, the simplicity of Christ. I try to do only pretty much what Christ commanded. And if it's something that's in the gospel, I mean, in the, the writings of Paul or the other epistles, then in order to find out what it means, I try to take it back to what Jesus did and yep. in the gospel. And so as far as like these, the celebrations that most people celebrate all year, you know, the ones that we've recently named and the other ones, but I, uh, I if I don't see, if I can't find it in scripture, then I, I try not to do it. And I, I uh, would definitely agree with you that there's nothing wrong with celebrating Christ's birth. I don't... I don't know if I think it's okay to do it 
own uh, pagan feast day, which the winter solstice is, always has been. But, you know, again, I know we are to work out our own salvation through fear and trembling. Just for me, I, uh, like I said, I just try to take it back to the simplicity of Christ. Yep. Yeah, always, always the best case. And, and again, you know, we need to have a better grasp of the influence of the occult history and how they overlay that, particularly as they address it with uh, children in terms of the entertainment, whether or not it's the Narnia tales or Lord of the Rings or fairy tales or whatever, uh, because it all is reflecting their belief system. And that Halloween is the clown and you also have clowns that are part of the circus and then you have clowns that are part of children's parties all of the time well the clowns come from the crazy clown trickster standing in occultism and typically that person is going to receive knowledge and there's several different levels of this so you have trickster spirits one are angels that would do more of an avatar effect just as say would have entered into judas to help him get over the hump of betraying jesus just as you get that avatar effect with vishnu entering in buddha for example and had you know i, don't know, I think 16 different avatars if i remember avatars that uh, he manipulated um if i recall and shiva you know the destroyer god was also known for uh, doing the same thing. So this is one of those, and that's important to understand, it's part of the New Age Christ consciousness concept where those individuals are an avatar, are, uh, an angel that's providing power and wisdom and is part of the Antichrist um, belief system, or they would not call them the Antichrist, but the, the Messiah, the dragon Messiah that they want to bring on is going to have that as part of his power and and just as Antichrist receives this power, um, that's the effect that, that I'm talking about. And so there's also the demon spirit is not a symbiotic relationship. You have a uh, demon spirit that is possessing a human that is suppressing host. And there may or may be not be some knowledge that goes along with it, but it turns into these horrific-looking people who have this attack going on. And you know, and I'm going to come back to that in a second. Of course, then you also have trickster spirits like the little people, like the leprechauns or the mischievous ones. And so this runs through with a whole series through the hierarchy of these trickster spirits, just as werewolves are part of that trickster spirit aspect and windigos back of the lantern um which was a flum demon spirit was you know as allegorized as being a trickster spirit as well so when we see um that are destroying uh bodies it usually gives very very pale sort of look to them 
And then you, with the clowns, you have that pale undercoating of their makeup, just as mimes are part of that whole, the same type of trickster spirit, but they're not being uh, deformed. So that would be allegorizing from an angel, which would be more of a symbiotic relationship and providing additional knowledge. So yeah, they, the cult has to be careful, at least I, in my mind, they should be careful as to who they're inviting in because a witch, but either way, you're not really going to be in control. So I really recommend it. And so as, as I look at that, then I look at shamans who also wore these white faces, right? And they are shown all around the world. And that's the same sort of look that happens in, uh, you know, Dia de los Muertos as well in, in the uh, uh, Day of the Day of the Dead celebrations. And that, they're receiving some of that additional knowledge. But it's just that blank white face. But in the clown, you get these demon distorted looks, right? You know, big red noses, they have colors on their faces and things like that. That is... I think depicting more of that relationship between a demon spirit that is inviting them, and it's and it's and it's not as symbiotic. So classifications of that, but they're related. One is just telling a little bit more detail. And you also get these masks that are made up in China for the theater that have all of these demon faces on there as well, and that with background, and that's reflecting the same thing as what as that there's something underneath the mask and that's the host right just as, as the clown is is indicating that with that same type of look and just as the blank white face is is saying there is something underneath that that is the angelic spirit the fallen angelic spirit and so bring that into western civilizations and it used to be that all the actors wore masks that would would be to disguise and hide what is really underneath. That there's something different that's being shown than what is really underneath. And that's the whole ideology and the ritual of wearing costumes on Halloween. Again, you can connect the dots with so many things in uh, culture. It's, it's crazy. And the dots can be connected in, in yeah. so many different areas. Well, and, and then if you look at court gestures, which are part of the clown mythos as well, and some jokers, not as uh, in modern times as before, but they were always in the royal court. And these were the priests uh, that were amongst the court, and they had to make uh, and always please the king, otherwise, they would get their faces slit open with knives and so now if you look at the joker in batman you know where that comes it's part of that uh, gesture court uh, understanding of of these alchemists that were before the court that went awry with either predictions or in helping the king and of course Batman is part of that superhero thing. And superheroes are always part of Halloween as well. So Batman is based on Camazots, which is of the house of the bat, of the 
Zibalba of the Kishamaya, which were the demigods and the vampire type people of of uh, of the Kishamaya. Uh, the bat people were a separate sort of branch of that, and that is would sort of go back to that uh, bird-like Tengu. Uh, Nephilim of Southeast Asia that would probably come from those Anunnaki type of angels uh, that are shown in, in, in Sumeria. And so this court gesture, I, I just sort of went uh, on, on a bit of a tangent, but I understand most superheroes are all based on Nephilim as well. They're super powerful and strong and had these super strong spirits and stuff like that. So with the court um they were based on uh, uh, the same understanding, but they had extra knowledge. So they tended not, not to have all the different colors and things and the distortions. They just had a sort of white face that was part of being part of the organizational structure, the ruling king and the queen and representative, and, and hidden as a gesture for uh, that occult religion being provided to descendants of Nephilim and Raphaim as the king and the queen because they take all of their bloodline back of the Nephilim and thus hidden from the Rome church. I'll tell you what, I I probably forgotten more than you, you had uh, <laughs> tonight. Um, but it's, it's crazy how many areas this one uh really it's just a a holiday that's been commercialized this commercial holiday here in the western world uh has really just you can go off on all these different directions yeah what about the and i know that that this really uh i, I just i thought about it whenever I, when we were talking about Christmas a few minutes ago, I was thinking about uh, the real connection that I see with uh, Christmas and Odin, or Santa Claus and, and Odin. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, is with like Halloween, is there any, um, is there any Norse history with it at all? With Christmas? No, uh, with uh, Halloween, I know there is. With, with, okay, with, yeah, so when you look at Norse history in terms of the fairy mythology, they've got elves, and they've got demons, and they've got Loki as a trickster spirit, and Loki is the, you know, the individual that Luke Skywalker is based on, um, Loki Skywalker as he's called, and he's, he's a Nephilim character. And so you know, if you look at Lord of the Rings, I guess is probably the best way to make that comparison is what Tolkien did was he overlaid Norse fairy mythology onto the fairy story and the antediluvian history. So when you see those characters, those are more Norse versions. They're very much connected to the English and the Celtic versions, but a different branch of the Tuatha de Danann uh, version so but very very similar but those are more specifically used the norse mythology but that's because his bloodlines go back to odin 
So why wouldn't he use the Norse one? Um, so it all, all sort of makes sense. So yeah, there is a, a very, very rich history of trolls and elves and things like that in uh, the Tuatha Dé Danann. And anything that you see in Celtic fairy mythology would be part of the Tuatha Dé Danann of the Norse, because you have, as you take their history back, this is their history as they, they would understand it, is that the Tuatha Dé Danann, which is the tribe of Anu, uh, show up in Scythia. And they're the people that the offspring of Japheth are going to intermarry with after the flood. In their belief system is that these two Atha Dodanan escaped from Tartarus or the Abyss uh, and through Scythia. And from there they're going to migrate into the covenant land to intermarry with start giant lair. You're going to have ones that go up the Danube River and into Germany and into uh, Norway and Sweden and other ones are going to branch out a little bit further south in, into into Russia, and these are the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Tuatha Dodanan and the red-haired, hazel-eyed ones tended to go over to England and Scotland, but they're also in that whole area because, as I mentioned earlier, Vlad the Killer takes took his genealogies back to these uh, Tuatha Dodanan from Scythia, and he had red hair and hazel eyes, right? So again, all of this is, is interconnected. And just so people haven't heard me say this on some of the shows, these genealogies are kept. And what's interesting is Prince Charles, uh, had, you know, he's on record and you can Google it and get the link. Uh, he says he has the genealogies that take him back to Vlad the Impaler, who Dracula was based on. So all of this is, is out there if you dig a little bit below the surface to start to connect some of those dots. Yeah, I tell you what, there are plenty of dots, but like with the um, whole vampire thing, that, like, like you said, you can uh, really, any costume that you could pick for, and it's, that's the commercialization of it is how, if you really look, all these costumes can be traced back to one of these things and you know sure well let's just continue a little bit on you're coming in and out so let's sort of develop that vampire mythos a little bit more so people can get a good understanding as i said dracula based on the word dragon and son of a dragon and that roots back into greek and latin and in the version it roots back to being defined as a watcher and of course a dragon had wings and flew and seraphim angels had a fiery body plus open face and six wings and these are the watchers and these are parents of the bloodline for dracula and of course uh nephilim after they lost their immortality we talked about earlier in the show in Genesis 6, they began to drink blood so that they could live longer and develop their cognitive abilities. So the, the belief goes. And so this is what the undead, which as we talked about earlier again, is basically talking about these 
demon spirits who are in a physical form, who are uh, drinking blood to keep this physical form immortal. And Nephilim drank blood. This is a complete allegory about Nephilim and demons and um, in understanding what is really being told, you need to be adept because they encode all of the, you know, big information underneath the super superficial story. And they have the teeth of a cobra. And a cobra is, you know, part of the headdresses and things of pharaohs. In fact, even has the hood of the cobra as, as part of the headdress. An equivalent to the Nagas over in, and again, these would be thought who had offspring that produced priests in ruling class and class giants uh, by mating with human females. And go take that word Naga back, back to snake, it actually goes back for, to the Sanskrit word for cobra. And so there's a significant meaning in a importance to the cobra snake level and i think as it goes back to the like nagas and the cobra like seraphim angels and of course the vampires are the enemy and the enemy of humans in particular because they're hunting humans right just as the nephilim did i mean the, the amount of allegory stuff that they overlay into the stories is absolutely mind-boggling And you cover so much of this stuff it is really entrenched and enlaced in your your book, uh, the Genesis Genesis Six Conspiracy, and we uh, really looking at the secret societies, all of the and the the Nephilim, all of the, their the the gods in each of the the different degrees can most certainly uh, be traced back to the Nephilim. A lot of times they they actually are uh, Nephilim or at least watchers. But it, I would have to say that it, that your book has got so much very, very information in it. It well, and what it will do and what really promote for everybody to read. Yeah. And what it will do is provide you a base level to start understanding how they communicate and hide things in plain sight with their allergies and language. And you'll, you'll, you won't watch anything after reading the book um, in the same way that, you know, you viewed things in the past. And, you know, I'll give, uh, a couple more examples here, and this part's not in the book, but it certainly relates to what we're talking about tonight. You know, I talked about the word Jack as meaning a spirit, and it was like an type for a demon spirit and is embedded throughout fairy tale, the name Jack. Um, and it's part, as I mentioned, as part of that trickster spirit of, of dem demigods who are cunning and they're very quick and adept um, just as the Nephilim were because they were the ultimate warriors. They just weren't these huge, clumsy, geek-looking things. These were built for war. And there's a similar term when we connect of the, uh, the Jack or the spirit. You've got Jack Green. 
Um, and what Jack is, is the light aspect of the god Cernunos, or the green man, people may know that as. And Cernunos is a satyr-like god of the Celtic pantheon. And it's the same satyr, green nature god that Cern is of the Etruscan pantheon. And it's the same type of god as Bacchus of the Roman pantheon. And it's the same god as the Pan god of the Greek god. And the temple of Pan, uh, of Pan at, that's located at Mount Hermon. And it's the same god or group of gods, which I think are degraded uh, from angels and watchers who maybe didn't go to the abyss because you get satyrs showing up in the Bible which are the same being that we're talking about, satyr gods, in Isaiah 13 and uh, 34 to be specific. Um, but this is what uh, Azazel was degraded to, was a goat god, right? And, you know, he's typically in that circle of blood with, you know, the, the star in his image in there. And with, when we understand that Jack of the Green is connected to that in sort of that spirit, we talked about avatar and knowledge passing on and power and things like that. And then also knowing that um, you have a demonic one, which isn't as symbiotic as that, is Jack of the Green is also the Oak King and the Holly King. And the Oak King, the Oak is the... Is the a holy or sacred tree of the Druids. And it's part of the world tree. And oak is also one of those trees that's listed on Bashan for its strength, right? The cedars and on were for their height and were for their building materials. And holly is the wood, holly wood, that they, they would make the wands out of for the priests and the priestesses and the witches and the, and the warlocks. And, you know, it's the same thing that Hollywood is named after that records all of this, these fairy tales and occult history and belief system and science fiction and all the different genres that, that they have. And this Jack is the Oak King who's the leader of the hunt of Saman. Or Samahan, depending on how you want to pronounce that. And that happened during that 11-day period. And this is also the same Jack archetype that goes into, as I said, Jack in the Box with the clown jumping, or Jack Frost, where the snowman comes to life, um, and Jack of Legs, or all the different other aspects. And it's also allegorized as the Green Man throughout some of the literature in occult history, where you've got like Gawain of King Arthur, which is a fairy tale and grail super uh, fairy tale of several different uh, ideologies that are being documented in, in, the, in the Grail Tales. Um, he is the Green Knight, right? And that is, and is all in there for purpose. And just as Robin, Robin of the Hood, who, which is an allegory for being an exile and made Marian, which is Jesus and Mary in their belief system, uh, being exile and going against the evil kingdom that's, you know, run by Christianity at that time. So again, you get that green overlay and the, and the green May, May festivals are all part of that 
uh, ritual that we're talking about with the green man. And of course, Peter Pan in the elf story is also representative of those gods as the pan god dressed in green and that nature god, but only from a little person perspective and in the trickster spirit again. Like the allegories are absolutely extraordinary. Guess what? Captain Hook is a pirate that shows up in that story. <laughs> There are just more. I know I've said this so many times, but no matter how many times I hear this information, it's just mind blowing to me how people uh, can't. And I'm sure that there are people that see the evil, but just not without making the connections to things like you know, the wand of well, Hollywood. Yeah. It's been set down for centuries and people have been brainwashed and not to look at these stories and things in any sort of evil way, but just great entertainment and fun for the kids and stuff like that. But it's not it's all preparing them for deception so that they're more easily led astray and dominating that whole area with their stories, with their history, their beliefs, and then pushing the monotheist Christian stories, history, and belief system aside. So by doing so, you can get mass following of rituals, and people don't even know that they're doing it, and that's what they would call participating at the lower levels and not understanding what they're participating in. So as you climb up that out of knowledge, you know, three degrees in the Scots, right? The third, three degrees of the York, right, which is the old uh, uh, system, and that's just being split into 11 different levels of, of the three degrees. People below the third degree or the 33rd degree are not taught the real meanings to the allegories or the rituals. They're kept from that. And so they, the adepts look at the people below adept level as being like all the other people they're brainwashing. Because they're too mundane, they're not worthy to know the truth. So we'll give them pablum to believe in, a superficial fairy story on the surface that's very entertaining, but they'll have no idea what it really means. And it's not until they get to, like you said, the the upper degrees, and then finally the honorary degree, thirty of thirty three, that they're really um, brought into or, or uh, told and shown that this is about uh, Lucifer, that is Luciferian. It is, and even that is very low level in the whole idea. Uh, I know if you're going to in in as being a, a mason ad as in Freemasonry, uh, if you're going to be several lodges, you need to be the fifth degree. So after you get to the thirty third degree, you're going to be into the old system because um, 
the Scottish uh, system is, uh, you know, sort of a newcomer in the last couple of hundred years. So above that, that goes back to the Royalsons and their hierarchy. And I don't know how many degrees there are above that. I've, you know, I, I think there's seven that I'm aware of. Some people nine, some people have told me 12 or 13 degrees. I don't know. But only the purebloods. Only the ones brought up in uh, the Royal Masonic Orders as being part of the elite royal bloodlines are initiated from childhood, actually become an adept before adulthood, and they're in age somewhere close to 30 before they can accept the adepthood title. Um, they are taught in degrees, you know, way beyond what a 33 Mason or third degree York Great Freemason would be unless they're of the bloodlines. So, you know, like uh, James, King James of, uh, of England, the first, who was the sponsor for, for, the, for the Bible. Uh, he's shown in, I think, the Lodge of Scone, uh, as I recall, uh, having a honorary uh, initiation. Well, there's no, first of all, the uh, English Freemasons don't show their documents as to who was members, but these, this, this is shown in colored glass and a whole bunch of things in many different places, including lodges. But he wasn't entering into Freemasonry then. He was just showing respect to it and accepting membership he wasn't starting off at the lowest level. He was already a super adept from being a Royal Mason and initiated from child as what have been uh, Lewis and Tolkien because they are at Oxford taken into the Rosicrucian Golden Dawn sponsored society, the Inklings, to develop their craft. And they have huge occult knowledge. So they're either downloaded from the nation or they already knew it and they're just developing their writing craft similar to what Francis Bacon's writing societies of the Shake, uh, Spear Shaker Society and the Knights of the Hat that uh, you know the Shakespeare plays come from this is a long tradition of them flooding the marketplace with their history and their writing and their teachings and again people will say well there's no record of Tolkien and as, as being a Freemason well they didn't need to be. They have bloodlines that are pure. And again, in the series that I have for Tolkien and Lewis, part five and six, I cover their bloodlines off so that you'll understand that that's how they were allowed into the Rosicrucian society because they were already adepts from childhood. They just weren't old enough to accept that adept title. And so that's why Lord of the Rings and the Narnia tales and everything else that they wrote is absolutely loaded with occult symbols from, you know, elves and uh, satyrs and dragons and you name it. Of them, right? Because they're there to uh, put out literature that's going to entertain people and brainwash people, and particularly get the children hooked from an early age into uh, thinking. Uh, these characters and these stories are, are great. And they're for sometimes a whole life. They never really go beyond what he's really talking about in, in the book. So you get like Tolkien, for example, and this relates to some of the things that we were talking about earlier. 
is that uh, creates this Christ consciousness character named Aslan, who's lion, and he's an incarnation, right? People, how odd that is. We heard earlier about these avatars and the trickster spirit and angels avataring and using an avatar to have the symbiotic relationship. Shiva, who I think is uh, equivalent to Apollyon and Abaddon as the destroyer gods, would be, I think, Azazel. And I have a great document for people who are all make that connection biblically, connecting Azazel to Abaddon, Apollyon, and the son of perdition, as how that flows through. Shiva um, was the avatar for an avatar named Narashima in the Hindu pantheon. And this Hindu pantheon with Narashima was in the form of a lion, who Aslan is based on. I also talked a little earlier about this is going to be part of that Christ consciousness aspect of the Antichrist as a, a Christ consciousness figure or being avatar. In the Narnia tales, we get a figure out of Eastern religion that is an avatar of Shiva who is going to be released as a bad Napoleon in the end just when Antichrist is rising to power so he may be also being an avatar for Antichrist as well as as Satan and it's just depicted as an incarnation and these avatars are depicted in the Eastern Hindu religion as incarnate as Christ consciousness aspect of their coming Messiah for the new age is a incarnation. The language could be more consistent and the way they've done it is so diabolical to brainwash people, it will make it easier for a lot of people to accept the delusions that are coming. And I, um, I've been I've been in arguments with people before, sometimes about several different uh, writers and uh, Hollywood uh, things that have been made in the Hollywood movies, but especially the C.S. Lewis uh, Aslan People have said, uh, you know, that, that the Narnia movies were Christian and C.S. Lewis was Christian. And I'm, are you serious? They've got... Uh, the main character Aslan that is uh, sacrificed on a pagan altar. It doesn't matter. Uh, you know, the argument was, well, it, it, Aslan was portraying Christ and that was Christ's uh, crucifixion and resurrection. Yeah. So, you know, who else was sacrificed on an altar that he based that, that on? He's um, completely a few different uh, archetypes in there, but the same sort of idea. They have what they call in their belief system, those who are sent to us to help humanity way to Godhood. Not the way that Jesus, but they use the same term, the way. And these are people like Confucius or people like Buddha or people like uh, um, Hermes. And they have a whole list that they would devalue Jesus to that level of mortal prophet who had the divine uh, avatar effect to, to give him the knowledge. Um, but in, in this case, they're referring to a fellow by the name of Zoroaster 
who was killed on an altar very early on in the post-Diluvian world, who was one of those sent on their way uh, in their belief system, one of many of those people. And Zoroastrian, Zoroastrianism is an ancient religion that arrives very shortly after the flood that the Sumerian religion was based on in Mesopotamia and is the same religion that was exported to India um, by the Aryans who again are the Tuatha Do Danan and their belief system. None of that is coincidental. A lot of people don't. When you say Aryans, I'm sure there are going to be a lot of people that don't realize who you're talking about. Um, they're going to image, uh, see Nazis. Well, and that's where that belief system comes out of, right? They're a left-wing movement. Most people don't think they're left-wing, but National Socialism is left-wing. They're just left-wing fascists, and they base their whole belief system on what K.K. did uh, of the new man and the Aryans who are this Tuatha Do Danan. In this case, is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed one I talked about, right? And that they believe they are superior, not because of their white skin, but their genes that go back to the giants. And that's the world that they're trying to create. Now, at the lower levels, they'll... Uh, of those organizations, they'll just teach them whatever they need to do to lead them blindly to do the things that they need to do. But you know, Hitler uh, believed, you know, where the these Aryan nation people, Nazis, you know, say they're taking their belief system was he set up the Reich Church, which was a polytheist religion that they called Ariosophy because it was the Aryan version of Theosophy which was of Gnosticism designed to be the religion for the end time that acts in harmony with, with science. And so they morphed it into Ariosophy with their Aryan belief system and their blonde-haired, blue-eyed new man theology, which is trying to bring back the Nephilim as that superior being. And they believe that they're the superior beings because they believe they're the offspring and the descendants of the giants who were born of the fallen angels. And that humans are just mundane. So they are just, they're more than anti, you know, colored people. They're anti anything that isn't part of their belief system. So yeah, they're connected, but not in the way that people are brainwashed to believe them uh, be connected. So when you have them and the Antifa groups or any of these other left-wing groups going at it, this isn't rating left, left against left, just different hate system. Yeah, and uh, when I see, um, when I or when I hear Aryan, the the first thing I think about is the elves. Um, that you know. The Tolkien elves, and also, uh, you know, just yeah. that blonde hair, blue eye, and it—they may not even. Ha I know that the the belief system is the new man, but the, they may not have to wait on the return of the the Nephilim as far as being regenerated. You know, if you, if you yeah. back to just in the the 1900s, Admiral Byrd described seeing uh, these Aryan type beings up in Antarctica. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, and again, and again, I mean, they're described, right? So, you know, there's lots of ways where they can 
be part of the end time. It can be it could be their descendants. It could be as we get closer to the end time, the angels that aren't in the abyss that rebelled are going to create new ones, and maybe they already have. Um, you could you certainly will be getting angels who are were in passion released towards the midpoint of the last seven years when Revelation nine opens up. So you're going to get that back. You may have cloned bodies taken over by demonic spirits so that they can interact in the physical world again. Um, that would be, you know, why not? If you can DNA human body, why not make it bigger, right? Uh, or you you just may have ones that have survived either through uh, being saved by fallen angels, put it in stasis in the earth, outside there, somehow, some way survived that are going to show up. And then, of course, we have the descendants. So we have lots of ways for them to impact it so that it's like the days of Noah, as Jesus talks about in his warnings for the end time. But somehow, some way, we're going to feel an impact of them. And at least three demon spirits, right? And, of course, we get told demon spirits participating in the end time. But we also get that war that is in Revelation 9, um, after the abyss is open, which has all of these crazy types of beings, right, that are described. And they're very, very similar to the Joel 1 and 2 because it's the same war. And I think that's the Gog War of Ezekiel 38 and 39 too. And again, we know that that is the uh, last days because it says it happens in the last days in Ezekiel 38. And... So I think, and, and Joel 4 goes on to the Armageddon War. So I think that's the counterfeit Armageddon, in, in, in my view and understanding of the end time. But with, where I'm going with it is, is these crazy beings that are being uh, participating in the war. And I think that's part comes out of the abyss. And I think that's partly uh, due to advanced knowledge and technology that is being developed to create super weapons and you know happens that nephilim might rise on that they, you know they have the bodies of horses uh, in some of the descriptions just as the unicorn was in the mythology uh the horse that nephilim rode into battle and it had a horn on it that could uh, tear apart a elephant's stomach and elephant with one poke it was that powerful and it would have to be large enough to be uh you know to hold a giant and it also had cloven feet like goat's feet on it and i think it, it might have even had in some of the descriptions a lion's tail so it's very much a chimera animal that the nephilim would have written and when we start to look at that and match that up with what I'm talking about in creating weapons of war for uh, to be able to fight against the angels um, and uh, within the wars that are happening on the earth, I think it's going to be a significant part of it. So I look at uh, that. Oh, and just one other thing when I'm talking about the unicorn and in their mythos, and everybody knows this, is that they disappear on the earth. Right. For some reason, they just they, they, these innocent little animals are not these, these monsters. But um, the, the reason why they're not on the ark is because if they were real, they probably were uh, in the age of Nephilim before the flood, is that they were 
a chimera type of animal and it was a violation against the laws of creation. So when you get the account of the flood where the animals are called to the ark and you get these words that are inserted after Noah, you know, as God commanded him, God didn't command Noah to command animals. Those words are inserted. There is the, the him and the he that is the reference, are inserted for a little bit of misdirection. God is the one who commanded the animals to come to the ark. He knew the ones that weren't corrupted because the whole earth was corrupt, right? And corrupt is that Hebrew word shakath, which means decay, spoil, destroy, violence, a whole bunch of different meanings. And God was seeing the world anew with a genetic bloodline of the eight that was counted for with the genealogies in the Bible. He wanted representative kinds of the species that were going to be on the ark, two for the uh, unclean animals and the predators and seven unclean and seven pairs of the of the clean animals, carrions, uh, that would survive the flood and ones that weren't corrupted with their DNA. And I think most of the animals at the time uh, if were corrupted by DNA because the whole earth corrupted. And same with the plants. And we're just getting to that level of technology today. Why? Because one of the overarching signs to the last generation that Jesus gives us, along with the fig tree generation, and that follows immediately the fig tree generation in, in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, is it will be like the days of Noah. So it's more than just the violence. It's all of that corruption. But again, that starts to answer why they keep this fairy tale imagery of the unicorn alive, why they have a story where this innocent little animal does the ark. It answers why that unicorn animal is on the King James Stuart coat of arms. And it is also deeply connected to the bloodlines and from their scion bloodlines that they want to present a dragon messiah, whether or not they're going to be successful or not. And why he has unicorn for the Hebrew word ram put in the Bible, which is wild or an ox by definition, or E-M is the Hebrew word, not unicorn. That's inserted, uh, I think it's nine times in the Bible, might be seven times, all specific targeted in the King James Version Bible because the end time empire is this ten horned beast that rises up out of the sea, a hydra. And there is one horn, a single horn, a unicorn that rises up between those horns, which is the Antichrist, Daniel 7. And this is the same type of that is going on in Daniel 8 with the goat which has the single horn rises to be antichrist it's there and embedded as a marker for their own purposes by the guy sponsored King James Version Bible who was a royal mason from childhood and on the book it says the minds or at least on demonology the book that he published I think it's on the original King James Version as well it says the mighty Prince James Mighty is used to describe Nephilim in Genesis 6-4, which goes back to the word gibberim. None of that is coincidental. (laughs) 
Uh, oh, I got back. I hear, hear you yet. I can't hear you. Okay, I, I see now. Uh, somehow I got muted, but the I've seen these little small um, things like that in the, the KJV. But it's obvious in some of those instances, but I would probably still. Those are just bark. With those. It's a, it's a good uh, translation. You, your camera seems like it's froze some. Um, uh, everything's working I, at it's, my it's, my it's, end. Your your sound's cutting it's, it's in and out. Now. But, it's fixed okay. Now. Okay. It's yeah, the King James version. It, the King James version Bible is as good as any the other Bibles. I mean, they all have some issues. The thing is, is just be aware of, and they all have translation issues, everything back to Hebrew and Greek, and use six different translations to make sure I, I'm understanding uh, the the text as well as I can. They're just small markers that I think they put in there. They're going to use the King James Version in the end time because that's the one where they've got markers like Easter in there. They've got Martin there. They've got markers like uh, Lucifer that's in there, which is the Hebrew word Hallel. Um, and Lucifer is an Italian inserted into the English language for a Hebrew word. And I think Hallel is the actual one of the names that Satan had before he was actually degraded, and that's in Isaiah 14, 12. So they've got some of those markers in there for their own purposes as they try to envelop Christianity into the Babel polytheist religion in the end time. They're going to use that as part of their deception tactics. Direction, I mean, but most part, their changes don't really change a whole lot. They're just, as um, Manley Hall talks about, markers that are embedded. Yeah, there there are many uh, of those little markers, and the, I, I read Manly Hall two books of Manly B. Hall's uh, just to try to get to all of the occult books that I've read have to be to try to get a, a better understanding of what these people believe, um, and yeah. a lot of people don't even realize that Masonry is uh, an occult secret society that it's luciferian it is and their god is called lucifer or the great architect of the universe and they'll have a few other different titles uh, some of them the, those names is gadrael as well as what enoch talks about gadrael being in eden so it's either a corruption or that's another name or a title for Hillel and or satan before he was degraded and it's not usual for famous people uh, of of the Old Testament, like Jethro, had several different names and titles. Up to seven is is how uh, I understand it. Not all of them are recorded in the Bible, but it's not unusual for gods or or angels to have several different names, bring some of their different titles. The um... The time, At least in the view of the gods. Yeah, 
know, the, the, the times that we are living in now, we can't afford to not know these, these things. It, it, we as believers have got to, uh, we've got to do this research and find these things out. And, you know, we don't have to read occult writings such as I have to do that. There are many of believers who have done that for the, the rest of the body and written books of their own that, you know, will people can read books like yours. Uh, there are many other good, very good books on the occult that people can read to find these things out. And this is their main, which is, uh, I saw a, uh, something somebody had asked, uh, and I asked this at the beginning, but uh, they probably don't. I, they must not have been watching it because they said they missed where uh, I had asked about the the what I asked you about midnight, whether it was tonight at midnight or tomorrow at midnight, most powerful time or something like that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had talked about that, and my understanding is because the calendar their creation as opposed to dust the dusk, which would be a biblical uh, measuring of the days and the start. So they want to do it as a counterfeit. Everything they do is a counterfeit. All Hallows Eve would begin on the same evening of the 31st because it, it that whole uh, celebration of the harvest, uh, Sam Hen, is uh, 11 days long. Starts November 1st and ends November 11th. So that's the eve, All Hallows Eve. So that would be the night before and then midnight going forward using their solar clock. Right. So tomorrow at midnight, it would officially be the first when that festival starts yep. or started in, in the eight day festival in the, the ancient Celtic celebration. Uh, the the day of the dead, you know, you, you talked about that some or the that the day of the dead is celebrated in uh, Mexico, but there's a another celebration that takes place in Spain. The that's the pretty much the same festival, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's all rooted in the same thing. You have in Mexico a little bit more of the native. Uh, history and religions sort of overlaying on that but yeah it's the same thing that was that is done over in spain the uh, similar type of thing that was done in rome it as i said this is a worldwide celebrated thing but again that makes sense because all of the pantheons you know come out of the original pantheon of enochian mysticism before the flood and then after the flood it starts off at babel with nimrod and Nimrod stays in Mesopotamia and develops that religion and the Magi, which come out of it. And that ends up going, uh, being exported over to India, as we mentioned later, as Zoroastrianism, uh, and then becomes Hindu over there. And then Egypt is where Hermes goes, and uh, Mizram, he travels with them. They set up the second pillar. So between those two pillars that's Enochian mysticism that essentially sets up all of the religions of the world except for monotheism yeah and there is nothing uh, monotheistic about Halloween there are many many uh, 
pagan deities if, and nothing else and the fact that it's a celebration of the dead and you know we know that there are no spirits of dead men that are are ghosts it they're all uh demons and you know even mm -hmm. paul talks about how the when you the ain't the pagans when they sacrifice to idols they're sacrificing to demons um being the nephilim and you know, it, it is far from monotheistic yeah yeah and again i mean that whole ritual is uh, rooted in sacrifice and all sorts of horrible things as we covered off earlier it's it is you know its history is is not something one just you know celebrate or we um are getting sorry my uh my last week when i was doing my program my uh, dog had puppies right at the end of the show like i mm -hmm. the last 30 minutes of the, the program and uh so i am not in my office and that my son's hamsters in here and i that's the reason you couldn't hear me earlier because i keep muting the the microphone because i can hear that <laughs> hamster and we've got these in so if i can hear the hamster i know everybody else can <sighs> but yeah It'll be okay. I know uh, we've um, we're coming up on almost the the two hour mark. We're at yep. is 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 there is there is there a chat room that might have some questions? Yeah, I, I am was going to uh, that's what I was going to get to. Now I was going to uh, let everybody know that if they wanted to ask a question, now would probably be the best time to. Uh, get to it I, the only question that i saw so far that anybody had posted in the chat was the one that that we had already asked and and answered but uh the well actually there's there's a few more but i we'll we'll do a couple of questions sure we, um yeah we've got one two three four so I'll uh, I'll take the the four, and if if we have maybe one or two more, if we if we have time, but sure, we've got. I see Dylan says he wanted to know if uh, if Obed Edom was a Nephilim, if you know. Obed, you don't know. I've not dug in, dug, dug into that, but I, I certainly, uh, uh, it's piqued my interest to dig into that. But I've, I, I don't remember anything, you know, coming across the name that would suggest that I should uh, dug into it. But I've been surprised in the past as you dig into some of the different names. So, no, I, I, I don't have a definitive answer on that, but I, I think I'll be digging into that. He also, uh, Dylan also asked, what are the the polytheist origins of the hollow earth or the Agartha? Well, that is a common, um, I guess I would call it uh, understanding around the 
world. Uh, in one of those common observations, uh, pyramids or L or Bigfoot, it's kind of one of those things that has been with history of humankind all the way through, and it's always interrelated. And there's different names for uh, Argatha around the world as well. So, uh, I mean, you have, these are, I mean, if, if people doesn't, don't know what uh, Argatha is, is, um, you know, a legend dealing with hollow earth or, or act through portals or a gateway to the underworld that, that is in hollow earth. And so, you know, the Buddhists would know it as okay, uh, the Hindus as Aryabhartha, uh, and that's the Aryan uh, name for it as well. The Chinese know it as uh, Sitian. Um, the Russians uh, know it as Bilo Odai. Um, the Kishamaya has Zibalba. Go back and forth in between, and you also have it recorded the Epic of Gilgamesh. So there's many of these accesses to the inner Earth around the world. Even at Mount Hermon, you have the the Rock of the Gods, where you have the Gateway of Hades that Jesus went to speak at, where he uh, began to start his his church through Peter and the disciples. So Argatha is, is a common people think that there's a portal or a gateway where CERN is located as well. There seems to be these gateways all around the world. And so it's that sort of common legacy. I don't get caught on, caught off. I'm tripping over my tongue. I don't get caught up on one location as in Argatha and the and the access to us. It's all talking about portals and gateways to the underworld or Hades. And there could be even more ones, or maybe some of those portals are going to go into different dimensions. We don't know because if somebody wants to, you know, Google the word Dolmen, D-O-N, that's a portal. And you have fairy portals that they're associated with. And these are all over the world. They're like little, many Stonehenge things, just as Gilgal Raphaim had uh, domains located within it. So uh, I look at that whole mythos of Argatha in that gateway as being the same mythos and that there seems to be multiple places around the earth that you could access the hollow earth, as some people would call it. I would prefer to call it Hades. I think that's in a different Hades are showing. Okay, and what about um, the Chinese? Is there any Chinese origins in their Nephilim like Gog in Halloween? Um, they, they, they do have ritual off the the demon talked about uh, with the uh, that belong with the hero worship that comes out of Taoism. They had giants that were uh, called the Myosi, uh, and so again, those were the offspring of the dragon gods that produced these uh, Myosi giants that became the royal families and the dynasties. So, 
Um, and again, if we understand how religion spreads out, it you know went from Mesopotamia to India, which started Hinduism, where Buddhism branches out, and then that religion branches over into China, Southeast Asia, and over to Japan, which is why they have similar uh, religions in that polytheist sort of extension out of Zoroastrianism and Arianism. Um, it starts to make sense. So uh, it's hard to find a lot of information on the ancient mystical world of China because the Khan destroyed everything. They burned books and things like so. There are references, but there's not a lot of detail. So my answer would be yes, but that's been sort of lost to history for the most part. Okay, and well, but the, like but but, but through Southeast Asia, you'll get you'll through Southeast Asia, you'll get rituals like that. Though it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, though, with in Japan anyway, like the samurai, they they painted their face. I don't know if that's got anything to do with the the Nephilim, but I know that dragons are really big in in China and the the Japanese uh, yeah. samurai painted their face. Yeah, samurai is a developed martial arts that follows back a history of the Tengu that we talked about for the bird Nephilim. And if you want to Google T-E-N-G-U, or I've got documents with links to pictures on what they kind of looked like, they kind of looked like the Anunnaki, right? Were the offspring of the gods in a warrior class, in ruling class, uh, combined, and then a priest class. And in the warrior class, they developed the martial arts that the samurai develop their martial arts from and therefore when they are painting themselves up yes they are re reflecting that history and that demonology um, not necessarily as birds but just with that sort of demonic sort of look and mary um from the next chapter radio network mary Kelly says explain if the portals for the seasons relating to the moon and sun and the, the book of Enoch, it has anything to do with why the occultic holiday that that is that's upon us is on these days yeah i mean i i, I don't know all the detail on it I, I know that that is deeply connected to it because astronomy offshoot astrology that was developed by Enoch, son of Cain, and the solar worship is all part of that. And as we read through Enoch, the, I think that first Enoch is the son of Jared's book as opposed to the son of Cain. It's describing all of the uh, avenues and the details that that solar astronomical, astrological of the polytheist religion is been so it has to be connected now exactly how all of that connects in um, I don't know but it is it has to do with celestial procession and annual events and all sorts of things like that so again not something I'm a super expert on but superficially that's how I would understand it I'm not sure whether we're still live or not. I don't have uh, Jeremy. There he is. Yeah, we're still live. Did, oh, okay. Did you lose? I wasn't sure if I was lost or not. So, with 
Yeah, I was trying to uh, look through the chat to see if um, yeah. there was anything on the YouTube chat. See uh, quite a people, quite a few people telling you hello and but that's about all the the questions I've got on on either okay. one. Yep, that's uh pretty much all the questions and I uh I think that maybe is there anywhere that people can go other than say like Amazon or just a regular Google search to find your book or, you know, your podcast that you do, things like that. Yeah. So uh, if you're looking for, uh, to get a hold of me or my book, the best way to do that is through my website, which is the Genesis sixconspiracy.com that's genesis six with the number six conspiracy.com and on the website i've got a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters so you'll get a real good feel for the book um, if you want to ask me a question or get some of the documents that we've talked about uh, there's an email on there to contact the author you can also click on uh, buy and you can get a signed copy of the book from me and on the website, you can also click over to Amazon.com and buy it there or BarnesandNoble.com or over to the Kindle version on Amazon if you want a digital version of it. And uh, it's also available on, on most online bookstores. If you wanted to, if you've got a store, bookstore that you like to support, it may not be on the shelf where you are, but the book is distributed through Bookmasters, so they can order it in. Uh, and so it's readily available. Uh, people can also follow me uh, on, you know, under Gary Wayne on, on Facebook, um, and send me questions or ask for information on Messenger or a timeline, and also on Twitter at Gary Wayne six three at Gary Wayne six three. Awesome, and you know, like I said, this book is really slammed full of information. It, it really is. I um, probably three or four different times uh this week definitely in the past two weeks i have told somebody that uh my favorite author or the author of my favorite book was was going to be coming on i don't i just have never been one big on fiction i guess that's why it's a lot easier for me to do research type things because i've always like been real into things that have a lot of facts in them and this book is just really slammed full of knowledge on the yeah cults there's there's, there's all of it's them. a it, it's a big book and uh, there aren't really any filler uh sentences or paragraphs or chapters it's like every sentence has more information and it just keeps coming at you right throughout the book it doesn't stop it really does. It really does. Well, Gary, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart again, thank you so very much for coming on with me tonight. Um, you know, I have, this is probably the fifth, sixth time I've heard 
you give close to the same information and you know i'm sitting there listening to you and i'm I, i've heard a lot of these things before and it, it I, like i said i probably forgot it more times than <laughs> you know, i realized because I, i'd hear you say something and i was like man I'm just like making all these connections and the dots just start connecting yeah. everywhere well, and, and, you know, I like to, I like to tell people, if you don't understand, you know, Genesis 6 and prehistory, it's really hard to understand what's going on in the Bible or in prophecy or what's going on in our world today. It's just one of those, almost like Rosetta Stones that just starts to open up a whole new world for you. And once you start to recognize things, then you start seeing it everywhere. Absolutely. That sounds like something that I say a lot. And that is, if you don't understand Genesis, you'll never understand Revelation. Exactly. Yeah. Well, brother, again, thank you. Uh, I truly appreciate it. It was an honor. Uh, we are going to close out the program now, and I'm going to uh, probably play maybe a song or two i usually play at least one song to close the program out but uh after after that i am going to uh probably get something to eat i uh, forgot to eat before i started i was yeah. you must be starving <laughs> i really uh, my my son he said something right as i was getting ready to come in here he said are you going because my, my, my wife's working tonight, and he said, are, are you going to make a pizza or something for supper? <laughs> uh, so I made him, uh, I think, a Hot Pocket and some pizza rolls. He wanted both. One wasn't good enough. So, yeah. Now I'm going to get me something to eat, and then I'll uh, probably see what a few of my favorite programs were about tonight that I I'm not able to watch when when I'm doing my own. I'll definitely be watching uh, the Omega Frequency. But uh, again, I am so very very honored that you came on with me. I, I truly am. I, I think a lot of you. I I have for several years. I appreciate now. that. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, it was uh, it was enjoyable. And I'm hoping that the information uh, that we provided tonight was helpful to the audience and uh, they'll, you know, understand uh, some of these things a little more and maybe communicate that to other people. And, you know, that's how the information gets out there. So that's what it's all about. Absolutely. I'm sure that, you know, most of my audience is fairly familiar with you, but they're, I know that I can think of some just off the top of my head that have probably never heard the information that, you know, even some that knew that the the holiday of Halloween was pagan, definitely didn't know all the the information that you shared tonight because it was a lot indeed. But I know that they will definitely be able to to use that information to say the least but terrific again i am trying to uh get the 
music loaded up. And <laughs> I am going to play it. <laughs> 